So we are actually now starting a six-week series uh, that's, that's based out of uh, the book of, of Isaiah. And, and I say based out of, um, in that we're, we're not covering all of Isaiah. Uh, I think I did the math at 66 chapters of Isaiah. Sermons of 20 minutes apiece. Uh, we could get it done by the time I'm a grandfather. And um, that's not going to happen that way. Um, but I also want to say we're not, we're not, uh, we're kind of picking places out of Isaiah. So not going in any specific order. Um, but specifically, we are focusing on Isaiah's vision of the coming kingdom of God, the things that he, he prophesied well in advance. Um, today's sermon uh, out of Isaiah 52. So if you want to turn there, Isaiah 52, 1 through 12. Um, today's sermon is introducing and setting the stage uh, for the coming weeks. And so uh, each week we'll focus on a different aspect of the kingdom of God as Isaiah uh, talks about it. But specifically, obviously, I hope this is obvious at least, the kingdom of God as it is uh, seen and fulfilled in Jesus. And so we're actually starting, this is going to morph into our Advent series starting in a couple weeks leading up to Christmas. So we're starting broadly today um, with Isaiah's vision of the kingdom and ending this series uh, with the arrival of the king that we celebrate on every Christmas. Um, and so that, that's kind of the, the vision for this next six weeks. Uh, and I think there's a, there's, um, there's a lot of reasons why Isaiah can speak to us. Um, one of those things uh, is that Isaiah is speaking in advance to a people in exile, right? A people who are far from their true home that God has for them. Uh, and so in the book of Isaiah, there's kind of two main groups, two focuses, fo- foci, I don't know what the plural is. Um, one is he tells the people of Israel to remain faithful, right? Don't be like the other nations, uh, repent of your idolatry, your injustice, your immorality. Um, and if you don't, you will go into exile, okay? So that, that is the, that's one part of Isaiah. Another part, though, is him prophesying to a people in exile, Right? A people who have not yet arrived uh, in the place that God has promised them. Um, and that, I feel like, speaks to us. Right? Uh, that is, uh, exile, you know, it happens for a number of reasons. Uh, it happens because of sin and judgment. Uh, it happens, um, you know, and in, in go back to the book of Genesis. And God's people uh, go into Egypt because they are... Um, uh, to avoid a famine and die. Um, but there's also, uh, shoot, even, even the Garden of Eden, right? In one sense, we can take it as a story of exile, of, the, of Adam and Eve being exiled from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. Right? So the whole Bible actually has this theme of exile and then a restoration to, to God's promises. Uh, that is, Isaiah is speaking to a people who are not in their true home that God has for them. And I think you can see we have some similarities uh, with Isaiah's audience, right? His message actually still speaks to us. Uh, the New Testament picks up this language of uh, the kingdom of God, but also as a people in exile. And it seems almost contradictory. Like we are a part of the kingdom, but we're in exile. We haven't actually gotten to our place yet. But both of those things, biblically speaking, are true. Uh, First Peter 2 
calls us exiles and foreigners, right? Uh, Hebrews 11 talks about how we look forward to a better country. In Hebrews 13, it talks about we don't have an enduring permanent city here. We're waiting for a city to come. Uh, And even Philippians 3 refers to us as citizens of heaven, right? Called to be marked by his kingdom, marked by the values of God's kingdom. And that is our calling. So Isaiah is speaking to a people who have not arrived into the fullness of the promise that God has for them. And in many ways, we are similar, right? Even if the details are not the same. Um, Okay, and so not only are God's people in exile, there is, if we look here, so we're going to jump into verse 5, actually. Um, There is another effect of the exile in the humiliation of the people of God. Um, So verse 5, And now what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. All day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Right? So the name of God, God himself is being mocked. He's being derided, right? People are speaking poorly of him, to to put it mildly, uh, because his people are in exile. If you think about it this way, uh, in, in Isaiah's day, the people of Israel being taken away from their land into exile would have been seen as their God being defeated, right? The gods of Babylon, the gods of Assyria, the gods of Egypt, those gods are more powerful than our God. That's how they would have understood it because the God of Israel can't even protect his own people, okay? And, that, and so they would have seen uh, the, the, the nations, the, the, other, uh, the people that are, are, uh, have taken him into exile, uh, would have seen him as a, as a king in name only, right? He's not actually ruling anything. God, they would say the God of Israel is just a king in name only. It's like, you know, for, for centuries, uh, the king of England was, uh, would call himself the king of France as well. He had a long title, and part of that was the king of France, Despite the fact that the king of England had no authority whatsoever in France, and he never, probably never, most of the time for centuries, never even stepped foot in France, right? But he would still call himself that, but it was a king in name only. And so many people would have seen the God of Israel in the same way, just, just a name only. But let's keep going. Verse 6, therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, 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 it is I. So here's the thing. Here's a biblical theme. Uh, Deliverance is connected to the revelation of his name. Let's go back. Exodus chapter 3, right? People of Israel are in in slavery in Egypt. God calls Moses and says, you're my one who's going to deliver them. And Moses has this back and forth, right? We're not going to go into all of it now. You can go read it. And Moses eventually says, okay, so who's sending me? What am I going to tell my people? Who, who is the one who's sending me? And God says, uh, he reveals his name as I am. I am is sending you. And that name, I am, becomes known as, and some of you guys know this, a little Bible geekery stuff here, okay? Becomes known as Yahweh, which literally translates he is. So every time you're reading, in this passage we have multiple occasions, in your translation a lot of them will say Lord in all capital letters, that is Yahweh, or he is, right? And so um, what God is saying is you tell them he is, is going to rescue you, right? Yahweh is going to rescue you. And that means that he is emphasizes he is always existing and always present. 
He is the always existing and the always present one. And when his name is revealed, and this shows up time and time again in scripture, when his name is revealed and when his name is known, it means he is going to rescue his people. Deliverance is coming. And so he says time and time again, and then they will know that I am he is, right? When I rescue my people, right? So salvation restores the honor of his name. This is a little side note. Just do it on your own time sometime. Read through the book of Acts, especially the first few chapters, and note how many times it connects the name of Jesus to his act of deliverance, right? In, in multiple angles. And that's not just something that Luke came up with. He's actually picking up a theme from the rest of Scripture. When God reveals his name, when he reveals who he truly is as the ever-existent and the ever-present one, it means he's rescuing his people. Deliverance is coming. Right? So this proclamation that God is saying to them in, in verse 6 is a sign that God is about to move on behalf of his people. So if, if we imagine this situation, okay, you're part of Israel, the people of God, called, blessed, right? You, you, you're recalling the, the um, acts of past, right? So God rescued his people out of Egypt. Um, he promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth, right? But you're surrounded by other nations who seem more powerful. They seem victorious, Right? They don't honor God. They live contrary to who God is. They mock you and they mock the name of the Lord. At some point, pretty much everyone would be tempted to doubt. Right? Lord, I'm not seeing this kingdom. I'm not seeing the promise. I'm not seeing the blessing that you say is going to come. Right? Where is it? Where is God? Is he going to return? Right? Do we just give up and settle in and live like the rest of the world? Or do we still try, right? Do we still try to live according to his kingdom, even when we're not, we're tempted to believe it's not really there anymore, right? It's just fairy tales. And then one day, this messenger, right, comes running over the hills. Verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Okay? I mean, just think of all the different ways that it talks about bringing good news, bringing peace, good tidings, proclaiming salvation. Right? All of this wraps up. I think you could actually summarize Isaiah's understanding of the good news of the gospel in these three words. Your God reigns. Your God reigns. This is, we're actually calling this series, Our God Reigns, right? It's, it's to, it's to uh, hold on to this one proclamation that summarizes Isaiah's vision. Your God reigns. Whether or not you see it at the moment, your God reigns. And listen, to, like, the, pay attention to the celebration that occurs, right? Verse 8, listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their eyes. Right? So the messenger starts with one messenger coming over the hills. Your God reigns. Your God reigns. And the watchmen, the ones who are, who are, whose job is to wait up on the walls and see what's coming, right? To protect the city or to proclaim the good news that's coming, right? That's what the watchman does. They join in on the celebration, right? They start shouting for joy. But then it just keeps going, right? Verse 9. 
burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, to the point that even the knocked down buildings are shouting for joy because the one true God reigns. Right? The celebration that starts with one messenger and turns into the whole people, even the things that are most broken down and destroyed, what seems to be a sign of the destruction of God's people, will actually raise up a shout of praise because our God reigns. Because, as it says in verse 9, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Right? And this deliverance, this salvation that comes with the kingdom of God. Check this out in verse 10. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Your God reigns. Is the summary right, of this hope of the kingdom of God. Even when we don't see it even when it seems hopeless, even when we look around, and we might look around at the church uh, and, and, and just see a, a mess, and it looks like ruins, right? Someone has just come through and destroyed the whole thing, and we, we think we have no idea what's going on. But there's one truth that we can hold on to, is that our God reigns. Now, I, I do want to acknowledge that in these verses, right, it, it's a messenger who comes, not an army, uh, it's a messenger, right? Um, and, and what I mean, what, the reason why I think that's significant um, is this news that uh, our God reigns, right, did not necessarily come with the immediate effect that they were hoping for, right? Um, that is, uh, the, the reign of God, the kingdom of God is fully true, but it's not fully realized yet. It was true, that's true for Isaiah's audience, but I think it's true for us uh, if you stick it out with this church, you're going to hear me say this phrase a lot. The already not yet, right? Already not yet. The kingdom of God is already here, but it is not yet fully here. So Isaiah is prophesying about a kingdom to come. His people didn't fully see it. And the truth is, on this side of Jesus' return, right, we got to see it. We read it in the pages of Scripture. We experience it through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But on this side of Jesus' return, before he comes back, we won't fully see it in all the ways that, that he has promised, right? And so sometimes people use this illustration. Uh, this is not original to me uh, for, for uh, history buffs here. So in World War II, D-Day, right, was the sign when the Allies won, uh, invaded uh, in northern France and, and won on D-Day. This actually took a little longer than one day. But um, nonetheless, when they won, the war was essentially decided. Germany didn't stand a chance at that point. But the, the, the war actually continued on for about another year until what they call VE Day or Victory in Europe Day. We are kind of living, it's like we're living between those two times, right? Jesus came. He conquered sin. He conquered death, which, side note, it's like this whole other exile theme of Jesus returning from exile, the exile of death and coming back to life that we all get to experience. That's another sermon for another day, Easter maybe. Um, but we're still waiting for that fullness. We are living between D-Day and then the declaration of the final victory, okay? So that's why I say, I think Isaiah still speaks to us. And yet the good news is still good. The good news is still good. Our God reigns. 
That is still true. So what do we do? Right? What do we do in the meantime? Right? How do we live as faithful exiles of the kingdom of God while we wait for the fullness of that kingdom to come? And as I said, each week we will uh, look at new, different aspects of the kingdom. I just want to point out something here that Isaiah says in, in verses um, 11 and 12. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure. You who carry the articles of the Lord's house, but you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Uh, now, some confusing things in there. What do I mean? Articles of the house of the, uh, house of the Lord. We're not going to get into all that. But you'll, he says two things. Right? One is that for the people in exile, as they're uh, trying, is not to be stained or made impure by the impurities of the land around you. Uh, so in other words, we are to be marked by the kingdom of God, transformed by the good news of his reign, and not live like the nations around us. Okay? But it's the second part that I want to focus on, because um, I actually, that, you can tie that back to something I preached two weeks ago if you want to go back and listen, um, is the assurance that he gives. The Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. That is God his presence with us is going to surround us. This is the assurance to a people living in exile is that he really is the ever-present one. He is Yahweh. He is. He is. The presence of God will go before us and behind us, completely surrounding and protecting us. And I think it's the Psalms, right? I can't remember which one it is where David says he surrounds us with songs of deliverance. The ever-existing and the ever-present God with his people, displaying his reign. That is good news. That is good news. So our response, you can come up if you want. As, as we're living in this already not yet tension, right? Our God reigns, and yet we're not fully seeing it or experiencing it. So I want to ask us as we respond to the Lord, you're responding uh, here or, or at home, and think about this through the day, through the week. Are there areas that we are having trouble believing that our God reigns? Are there areas in our lives, right? In our homes, our families, work, job, neighborhood. Is, are there areas where we're just, we feel like we're not seeing the reign of God? We're not experiencing the kingdom of God. And we're tempted to doubt that he does in fact reign. And what are those areas? Can we ask him to reveal himself as the ever-present Savior King, right? Who, who reveals himself and delivers his people. So we're going to take some time now um, just to respond to the Lord. Lord, we give these areas of our life to you where we are tempted to doubt that you do reign. Lord, we confess that when we don't see it, sometimes we struggle to believe it. Would you reveal yourself to us, Lord? We give these areas of our life to you, Lord. Amen.